Hey everybody, I know it's been a minute since our last podcast, but obviously we have time now because we've been... I'm trying not to use the word quarantine because it makes it sound like our home is a prison and our homes are not prisons, they're sanctuaries. So I don't like the word quarantine. That's fair. So let that just be a little little lesson that we're not going to discuss at all in this podcast. Um, going back to last uh, the last lesson... I was while I was editing it, I realized that I said that the Septuagint was the uh, Hebrew version of the New Testament. This has been eating him alive. It's been eating for me weeks. alive because it's I know better than that. It's not the Septuagint is the Greek version of the Old Testament. My brain completely did a backflip in that moment, obviously. So if you've listened to that podcast and you've probably thought to yourself, "This guy's an idiot." You're right. Uh, my brain completely slipped a, a disc there. So anyway, and while we're just discussing things, my wife wanted me to say that the reason why she doesn't talk as much is because the first half of the podcast is mostly a history lesson and it's foundation building and she really doesn't have a lot to add until the end when we get to the New Testament. So we're trying to trying to figure this whole podcast thing out so bear with us until we figure it out and also i'm a mom with two babies and he spends the bulk of the time digging it out and researching and studying while i'm mom and uh trust me if you get me on a topic i have a lot to say on i'll have a lot to say and uh segueing out of that this particular topic i've been studying for close to two years now and it's I have a lot I can say about these topics um, we're actually I've made the decision to cut this series short I'm going to do one more lesson after this one and I'm going to be striving to put out content weekly um, just to I think people really need some good content they can listen to more godly content out there and we'd like to add more content to the digital sphere for people to have but that being said, we'll have one more lesson in this particular series, and then I'm going to do a topic I've been working on for quite a while called the Day of the Lord, because I think it's, I feel it's very relevant to a lot of questions I've been getting emailed and text about um, end time things, uh, if I can call it that. So anyway, be looking out for that. So without further ado, we're going to hop right into lesson two of Don't Feed the Animals. And I'm going to briefly recap what we went over in the last one just to kind of build up to what we're discussing in this lesson. Obviously, in this in the last lesson, we kind of talked about the first animal. That was the serpent. And the serpent's agenda was to um, get Eve's attention. And she fed the serpent her attention. And that's what kind of led to their, their fall. And we discussed, you know, that that animal that we have to not feed. We're we're living a life daily, not feeding the serpent our attention. Now tonight, I'm going to talk about the second animal, which is us. We're animals. So, if you've ever said the statement "I'm a beast," you might think twice about that statement from here going forward after listening to this podcast. Uh, so let's start real quick with Genesis 3, and let's look at this animal. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat it and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Eve fed the serpent her attention, which we talked about in the last episode, but then she fed her flesh satisfaction. She wanted to be godlike, and that's a whole topic I can discuss, but I'm going to stay on track tonight. There, These are the two most powerful voices in our day-to-day lives. It's the voice of sin, and it's the voice of our own flesh. We don't give sin attention, and we don't give flesh attention satisfaction um we do in a godly way but tonight i'm going to touch on and i'm going to teach on the second animal that we must not feed us so if you're in your car you're listening to this you're mowing your grass just say it out loud i'm a beast (laughs) go ahead you say it babe i'm a beast uh too (laughs) weird for me to even say So, if you remember the last lesson, we looked at Genesis 1 and how it shows us that man and beast were created on the same day, which was day 6. The creation of man came after the creation of beast, thus making mankind in a technical as well as a chronological sense the second born in order of creation on day 6. And it was the second born that also got the image and the favor of God, and thus mankind's calling was to have dominion over all the fish of the sea all the birds of the air, and over every living thing that creeped upon the earth. Uh, then we see in Genesis 1-3 that God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Well, what you're reading in the Hebrew and what your brain is conditioned to see is that man was very much a, a spiritual heaven, heavenly being. And we see this because God breathed into mankind his neshama, his spirit, um, the animals did not get that that type of crowning of glory, if I can use that phrase. They were not crowned with that kind of glory to be given God's personal uh, image as well as indwelling spirit. So there's this this frustration, if you will, that could be kind of seen in the Hebrew text. Um, and you're seeing that mankind was given that, and there's this firstborn that is probably not happy about not getting that type of attention from God. So it was a beast, as we discussed in the last episode, that appealed to this second animal, the second... By the way, the word for creature is nefesh, and that's what the Bible calls human beings, calls them a living nefesh. And it also calls the animals a living nefesh, which is creature. We're both creatures, we're animals. But we're an animal with the authority, the dominion, the image, and the spirit of God. So then God sets uh, the perimeters of the different diets between man and animal to the firstborn and the secondborn. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, so nuts and fruit. To every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So man and beast were called by the Hebrew word nefesh, but the mankind got the neshema, the spirit. And then their diets were different. They would also tend the garden and they would work it and they would cultivate for themselves fruit. Um, there was a, a dividing line between the firstborn and the secondborn all the way down to their diets. So mankind was told to eat fruit and nuts and the animals were to eat the grass of the ground. 
Here is where the line of distinction, distinction that was drawn, and then God tells mankind that they will have dominion over the animals. Then, as we discussed in lesson one, a beast comes and just asks a question. Eve feeds the beast her attention and believes a lie. Then she feeds her own satisfaction, her own desires. And that's where we come to Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat. Mankind entertained a voice that led them to feeding their own satisfaction, their own desires. And as we are familiar with, God comes and reveals the curse for feeding the animals. The Lord God in verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the fields. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. If you remember the word for eat means to inflame. That this evil beast will now inflame the dust, our fleshly origin. Then God prophesies and he says, I will put enmity, 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 <laughs> enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God tells the serpent it will have an offspring and that a woman's offspring would bruise its head. The found, remember the foundations of the earth? Christ was crucified. Right here, God already had a plan. He's already prophesying of his own coming to earth as Jesus. He was talking about himself as the offspring. And he was talking to the serpent, your offspring, which is sin. I'm going to crush that one day. So as an ancient reader, you're kind of conditioned at this point to look forward to something. If you were uh, an, you know, an ancient Jew and you were reading this, you would be conditioned to look towards this, this showdown, so to speak, this and we'll actually discuss this in great detail. The day of the Lord is a phrase that Jews use. Uh, that's the next series of lessons I'll be teaching on. But you're looking forward to this showdown that's coming because of verse 15. So God tells the serpent that would have an offspring and the woman's offspring would bruise its head. Then watch this in verse 18. This is the curse to mankind. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. The man called his wife's uh, named Eve because she was the mother of all living. This is verse 20, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So the diet for man is now the same as the beast of the field. They're, they're both eating grass from the ground. Mankind's no longer eating nuts and fruit. And by feeding the serpent their attention and then feeding their own desires, they re, were reduced off of the throne of their dominion and authority and they were reduced to the status of animals. God even places a hairy garment of an animal on their backs. And you're seeing this imagery to where you're looking at these heavenly beings that were up on this, according to Ezekiel 28, Eden was this mountain high. It was a place where heaven and earth intersected. And man was positioned as a type of Elohim, type of, of a godly being. And then they're, they were reduced down to an animal. And this is where we get the phrase, the fall, by the way, because they were up on this mountain place and now they're cast down off of the mountain. And they are reduced to mere animals. Mere animals is what's, what you're seeing here. The ancient authors are trying to show us something. 
Man has become just like a beast. I believe you've talked about this before with me, with me saying that prior to they were, you know, were image bearers of God. Right. And that, you know, here they're being clothed with the skins of animals. But prior to that, they were clothed with the glory of God. Right. According to Psalm are, 8. We were are to be image bearers of God. And right. so we, they were clothed with his glory until sin entered. Yeah, we were first and foremost heavenly beings. And we had dominion and authority. And it was, it's not this power trip that we get caught up on nowadays, but it was dominion and authority. We were heavenly beings. We were seated in this council. We had we had unfettered access to, to a heavenly sphere. And all of this was lost in this moment. And not only, it's like adding insult to injury. Not only were we cast down off of this holy mountain, where we were in the presence of, of God, but now we're down in a valley dressed like an animal. We're eating grass from the ground. We're just, we're a beast now. We're, we've lost our heavenly status at this moment. It's, it's a great tragedy when you're reading it in the Hebrew. You're just kind of like, oh my goodness. It's, it's just so much more vibrant. I can't explain it in the Hebrew. You're seeing different word plays and things. But it's just, you can, you can see that it is such a tragic moment for mankind. So, again, I know that these are new concepts and these are things that aren't taught a lot. So, I, I want to show you, this is an ongoing theme from Genesis all the way to Revelation, by the way. I wouldn't be discussing it if it was just, oh, that's a cool thought. It's in one or two scriptures. But it is all through the Bible. So, I want to show that in a few places throughout the Old Testament. It's all through the Old Testament. Um, I think I read it in the last, I got so excited. I was saving it for this episode, but I read it in the last one. Ecclesiastes 3.18, it says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast. For all is vanity. The word vanity there is the Hebrew word hevel. And hevel means just vapor. There's no substance to life is what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying. It's like smoke. You try to grab smoke and it slips through your fingers. That's what hevel means. And he's saying there's no advantage. We're no different than beast. That's the Old Testament mindset. That's why they feared death so much. It's because if they died, they just went to the dust of the ground like an animal. Right. There was no hope whatsoever in the old testament and i'll put it this way there was no good news beyond death right no gospel so our brains are conditioned to start seeing a better way and the prophets start pointing to this so we see this repeating pattern throughout the old testament cain becomes jealous of the blessing on his second born brother esau and he kills him to which god replies if you do not do well abel Cain and Abel, sorry. <laughs> Not Jacob and Esau. Cain and Abel. <laughs> I know he'd kick himself later if I didn't stop him there. Thank you. I get I get names mixed up all the time. So Cain and Abel. So Cain kills his second born brother who got the favor of God. You're seeing it repeated over again. And God goes to Cain. He says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You're seeing in the Hebrew that sin is like an animal. It's crouching. It's, it's ready to pounce. It's ready to attack you. You're almost seeing lion imagery right here, which 
is intriguing when you read about the devil in uh, Peter. You know, for your adversary, the devil is as a roaring lion, mm -hmm. seeking whom he may devour. Yeah, so that's that's fun. So after this, we see after the death of of Abel, Adam and Eve have another son, Seth. But Cain, Cain's line, he is he is marked by God. He's cursed. That's a fun topic too to discuss, but we won't hit on all that right now. Cain's great 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 grandson Lamech he kills a man for no reason whatsoever and he begins to boast about it because he was like my great 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 granddaddy killed a man and God didn't do anything to him God marked him so that no man would kill him so I'll kill a man and if my and this is what it says if Cain was avenged sevenfold then I'll surely be avenged 77fold so he gets caught up into the lifestyle of needless murdering. Ironically, if you look at the Hebrew letters for the name Lamech, it spells king backwards. So when you're reading it in Hebrew, Hebrew you're literally seeing it's, he's an inverted king. It's, it's an anti-king is what you're seeing here. And Lamech embodies this. He's the first person in the entire narrative of the Bible who has more than one wife. He's... A murderer, a mass murderer at this point in time in history. So from here, as you begin to read the Bible, you see that the desires of mankind, they get worse and worse to the point where the thoughts of mankind were evil continually. But right here, we see something unique um, that we as readers of the Bible are intended to see. There was another Lamech, ironically, who came out of the bloodline of Seth, Adam and Eve's third son, after the death of Abel. Remember, the Lamech off the line of Cain was a murderer, but the Lamech off the line of Seth prophesies. So he's a type of prophet in the scripture. So at the age of, and this is fun stuff, at the age of 777 years old, he prophesies that he would have a son who would bring rest or a reset to the earth through a flood. What was his name? Nuach or Noah, which in Hebrew means to rest which is fun because he's 777 years old. He prophesies about rest. God rest on the seventh day. It's just you're seeing a lot of word plays and a lot of numerical references that you're intended to see. You even said back here when you were talking about Lamech and it says to be avenged sevenfold and I'll surely be avenged 77fold. Oh, I, hadn't, I didn't even see that. That in the Gospels, I believe Jesus says that you'll for, you need to forgive 70 times 7 or something Whoa. like that. So basically, but God was coming to show the correct way to do things. And he basically, I'm not, I don't know if it's a reference. Mind blown. But it it's similar. It's, by the way, if, if you're ever like intrigued with studies, pay attention to these little things because now I'm going to go study that out. There, there's very possible there's something there, something fun to, to study out. We're going to flesh that out later. That's a really good thought. That's fun. I'm sorry. Skip way ahead. You're like a whole paragraph. Yeah, I'm like mind blown right now. So anyway, Lamech prophesies another Lamech. And what he's showing us is that we're seeing a type of seventh day rest through Noah, who God uses to bring forth a flood. It's really cool imagery here. And this is all important. I know that this has nothing to do with the beast, but it does. If you just, if you just hold on tight. So God has Noah build a micro Eden. It's, it's a type of, of an Eden. 
And he tells Noah, you're going to have dominion over all these animals. Bring them in two by two. We don't know how he got the lion. We don't know how he got the leopard. We don't know how he got these wild beasts on there. But he obviously had some kind of dominion over them to get them there. I don't know if he was a mass trapper. I don't know what, I don't know what, how they got there. But he had some kind of dominion over them to get them onto this boat. And we see that God washes away all sin through this rest. Ironically, nuach, which means rest, is steering a boat that brings about a reset on the earth. Because in the biblical narrative, anytime you see the seventh day rest, you're always seeing that God is starting over. So, which I believe eight means new beginnings in the Hebrew. Uh, don't quote me on that. So, we are seeing that there was a man amidst a world of people acting like animals who would stop, who he, he would cease, which is, that's what the word Shabbat means, uh, Sabbath to cease. He would Shabbat and submit to the plan of God and have dominion over animals while everybody around him was acting like a bunch of wild animals. They're murdering. They're, they're, in the New Testament, we see, as it were, in the days of Noah, they were marrying and giving marriage. They were drinking. They were doing all these things that were illicit. Not that marrying and giving a marriage is wrong, but they weren't, they weren't worried about their divine status. They were worried about their desires is what we're seeing. So we continue to see these hyperlinks throughout the Bible. I want you to remember the the inverted king and things like that because we need to we're intended to remember those things as we read and go through the scriptures. But we see these glowing blue hyperlinks throughout the Bible of men acting like total animals. One glowing hyperlink, and maybe you were thinking about it when you were listening, is Daniel. Daniel steps into a heathen world. After he has seen a bunch of kings totally blow it in Israel, a bunch of kings that were just like completely acting out of their own desires, not exercising their status of king to show forth uh, mispot or, or justice to the lowly, they were really abusing their power. And so in this point in scripture, when we get to Daniel, we're kind of like we've lost all hope in kings. We're seeing Lamechs again, inverted kings. And then Daniel steps into a heathen world with a total heathen king. And what does he, what does he say? Daniel 1 and 8, one of my favorite scriptures. He says, I will not defile myself with a portion of the king's meat. What does he do? He, he goes back to Genesis and he says, I'm going to eat nuts and fruit. This is the, this is the Daniel fast. This is the Daniel fast that I absolutely loathe. Yeah, he really hates the Daniel fast. Yeah, I love it when people are like, I lost 20 pounds on Daniel fast. I'm like, well, you're doing it wrong because the Bible says that Daniel was more full-fleshed than everyone else. He actually gained weight. That scripture in Hebrew means he was putting on the pounds. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he steps into this heathen world with a rebellious king who is setting up an image of himself and he's wanting all of these, these Jewish boys to bow down to it. All these people that they've collected from different societies that they had conquered and now they have immigration in their city of Babylon and they're saying bow to our king, the image of our king. And that's where we get the story. The three Hebrew boys who don't bow, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. This is the world Daniel's living in. And he's saying, I am not an animal. Where I'm from in Israel, the word Babylon means confused. So in this confused world, I am going to act differently. 
And he says, I will not defile myself with a portion of the king's meat. I'm going to eat nuts and fruit. And when you're reading this, you're if you're an ancient Jew and you're seeing in the Hebrew, you're just like, oh man, Daniel's acting the way we're supposed to act when we're in a, in a sinful world. We're acting like our God status on the mountain. That's what you're seeing here. You're like, oh, this is a new Adam. So there's, there's, there's this hope wrapped up in the book of Daniel. And then we see the inverted king, Nebuchadnezzar, or in the Babylonian tongue, Nebuchadnezzar, which is way more fun to say. I think you just like saying fun names. I do. It's a blast. Nebuchadnezzar. Not even going to try that. He tries to elevate himself above God. Watch what happens in Daniel 4, 16. God gives a curse to this king who's trying to elevate himself above God. And he says this, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. He's telling him, he says, until you can recognize that I'm the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be an animal. And he literally turns into an animal. The Bible says he grows thick, matted like feathers. He grows these long talons and he's out in the field and the dew is wetting his back because he's out there like a beast and he's eating grass. So while Nebuchadnezzar is out eating grass, Daniel is, is a godlike status and he's eating nuts and fruit. We're seeing, okay, we're seeing that man can get their status back. That's what we're seeing in the scriptures. We don't have to be beasts. Maybe there's hope beyond death now. You see what we're conditioned to see? And it's this ever building hope that we're getting to look at. It's interesting to note also that Daniel has a dream of the end times that we use in our end time studies. And he describes what he's seeing as four beasts coming out of the sea. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. So all of this is going on in the narrative and then Daniel has an end time vision to things that we haven't even seen today. Right. He says, I see beasts coming out of the sea. These beasts were vicious, and it refers to the beast as kings. You seeing a pattern here? So basically just carnal men who rule. A bunch of power-hungry kings. I mean, at least that's what I would interpret it as. It's, well, it's exactly what Daniel interpreted it as. We're going to see all the way through to the end of time that we're going to have a bunch of men acting like animals still. And then Daniel in this dream, looks up. And what does he see? He looks up and he says, I see one like the son of man. And here's the turning point. All throughout the biblical history, we have seen a bunch of inverted kings that we put our hope in that totally let us down. They acted like complete animals. And then Daniel sees that this pattern is going to continue all the way until the Lord comes back. We're still going to see these false kings, these inverted kings acting like animals. But he's going to see something different. There's one like to the Son of Man. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Well, who is this Son of Man? 
that's what you're reading. And we're, we're reading this as ancient uh, Jewish people. And we're like, who is the son of man? Who's going to be this, this individual who has dominion and glory in a kingdom? Who is this guy amongst these kings acting like animals? Well, let's transition to the second segment of this podcast and let's discuss this other king that the Jews were looking forward to hearing about. So, how do we overcome this animalistic nature that we have been born with? Through Jesus. So let's look at the New Testament. Now I can show even more stuff in the Old Testament. The prophets all talked about beasts. They all talk about our natures like beasts. It's just, it's all through he the really prophets. He really could. For hours. He, would, he, could, he could find it in every book of the Bible just about, I'm sure. Yeah, I've been, like I said, or I've been studying this. book of the Old Testament. I've been studying this for a long time now. So Jesus is strategically about to step into his kingly anointing in the Gospels. And what takes place prior is quite incredible. So if you've read the entire Old Testament, your brain is primed and ready for this moment. Here's the moment. We find the anointing uh, taking place near the Jordan River where there's a man who is preaching in the wilderness... And the Bible refers to him as a wild man who has got honey in his beard and he's eating locusts. He's, he's like this embodiment of an animal, but he's, he's doing okay. He's prophesying. He's calling the church to repentance and he's wearing a hairy garment of all things. And he goes by the name of none other than John, John the Baptist. He says that there is someone who is coming though that is greater whose shoes I am not worthy to unlatch. That's a whole Jewish idiom right there. That I knew you couldn't just walk past it, could yeah, you? Yeah, well, it drives me crazy. He wasn't just humbling himself. It was a Jewish way of redeeming, and he said, I'm not the redeemer. There's somebody coming who's redeeming. Anyway. I sensed it coming. And maybe in another podcast I'll talk about that that idiomatic phrase there. So then John, this, this wild man wearing a, a hairy garment, looking like an animal, baptizes Jesus who Paul refers to as the second Adam. Then a dove coming down, and we hear this voice speaking. And this whole narrative, by the way, is to be viewed as a type of anointing because they would anoint the kings and they would pour oil upon the head. Right here, we're seeing the anointing of this, this carpenter's son from the city or the little town or village of Nazareth, who nobody expects to be a king. He pops up, and he's now being anointed as king Everybody around him and a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Later on, Jesus references this moment. He said, that voice that you heard was not for my benefit. It was for yours. What he's saying there is that voice that you heard was to let you know I'm the new king. Mm. So Mark 1, after this happens, shows that Jesus is then thrust where? Into Into the the wilderness. It's a cool, you can call a whole series, call it Into the Wilderness. To be tempted by the Satan. And the reason why I say the Satan, because it's it's not a name, it's a Hebrew word for accuser or slanderer or gossiper. And then just randomly, Mark 1 says, he was with the wild beast, period. And it stops. And you're reading that as a, as a Westerner, you're just kind of like, what? 
to be tempted of Satan and he's with the wild beast. That's kind of random. Why is that put in there? But if you've been reading the Old Testament, by the time you get to this point, you're like, oh man, he's going into the boxing ring. He's going, he's going to face against the animals. It's going to be the ultimate showdown, son of man versus beast. He's going to go and tackle what Daniel saw in Daniel 7. And it's going to be the ultimate showdown. Here it is. The, the gloves are on. And he does something unique. Jesus doesn't fight. What does he do? Scripture. He uses the word. Ironically, we know why he would use the word because John 1 said he was the word. Why would the word do anything other than be the word? He was just being what he was. And the devil, he, he accosts him. And it's actually four temptations. His temptation was, if thou be the son of God. Mm-hmm. He was questioning the identity of what just happened at baptism. He was saying, you're not really the son of the most high. You're not really this, this new king. You're not really this new being. He's questioning his identity. So it's crucial to point out that Jesus refers to himself as the son of man more than any other title in all the gospels. 80 times, in fact. He refers to himself as the son of man. Jesus is telling us that he is the one whom Daniel saw in his dream amongst the beast who would be given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. This is absolutely crucial to see because the reader is saying there's no doubt the God of the Old Testament has become the God of the new and here he is walking in the same fleshly garments that you and I are wearing. This king has put on animal skin. The second Adam is now clothed in the the hairy garment and he's going to show us how to get back up the mountain to our godlike status before we fail. This is what you're primed to see at this point in history. So he overcomes the accuser. He overcomes the animals in the wilderness. He overcomes his flesh. And the devil tempts him in the same exact way, by the way, that he has tempted every other king. I think we went over this in the last podcast in detail. Did we? Each of the temptations. Yeah, which I'm was the sure same temptations he, he battled the kings with. Because the devil's had 770 years at this point in time to read Isaiah of the suffering servant. And he said, this king has come to suffer. I must make him comfortable. And he tempts him with comfort. And he flat out is trying to keep Jesus from suffering. Because this is how the king is going to do things. Jesus was coming to do something that no other king has ever done. He's coming to suffer, not be comfortable. So there's a ton of information packed into this that we just we don't have the time to discuss. But I will go over a lot of this in the Day of the Lord series that's coming after this series is done. So watch what takes place next as Jesus has a conversation with a man who is asking him about how to enter the kingdom. That's a logical question to a Jew. Okay, you've been anointed as king. I know the prophet Daniel said that this son of man who's coming, you're calling yourself the son of man. So the son of man in Daniel said that you would be given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. So Nicodemus, knowing the scriptures because he would have been a scribe, looks at Jesus who calls himself the son of man and he says, okay, son of man, you've been given a kingdom. How do I enter that kingdom? Right. And Jesus answers him in verse five of John three. He says, verily, verily, that's a double imperative. Every time you see verily, verily, or truly, truly, 
Jesus is basically grabbing you by the throat and saying, you better listen to what I'm saying next. This is absolutely crucial. I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, verse six is what I really want to look at. If you're apostolic, you know this scripture or you should. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. This is a type of Eden imagery taking place right here where there's a line being drawn. The diet between the beast and the man mm -hmm. is being drawn right here. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Jesus came with a new nature, his own image. Now the line I was showing, the word for flesh right there is the Greek word sarx. The definition is our sensual animal-like nature. That's the definition. Okay. So instead of saying flesh, let's use this. That which is born of the animal-like nature is animal-like. going to draw the line today, buddy. To get into this kingdom, you're going to have to draw the line between your flesh, and that's going to have to be baptized. That's going to have to be covered in, in a type of blood that you don't know about yet, Nicodemus. And he says, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is also pulling from law in Leviticus to where it said it is an abomination to lie with an, an animal as you would with a man. And Jesus is coming for a bride. And he's looking at Nicodemus and he says, I cannot marry you if you're an animal. It's against my law. Mm. It's an abomination. So you're going to have to be transformed from the status of an animal to the son of man. Well, here I am as the son of man and I'm going to pave a way for you. I'm the new king and I'm going to give you access to a kingdom. Right. And he's given us a glimpse of it here in John 3. That which is born of this flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. By the way, John 3.16, the, the scripture that we all quote, that you know some, some people refer to that as salvation, that you know if you believe on the Lord God, you shall be saved. That comes after John 3, 5. What all that scripture is saying, if you believe on the words, not on him personally, but on the words he said, because he is the word. Well, what did he say? Well, John 3, 5. That's what John 3, 16 is saying, by the way, when you're when you're reading it. There we our, our Western brains get so tripped up when we see all we have to do is believe in Jesus and we'll be saved. It's not saying that. Jesus was the word, is what you were what you would be reading in the the um, original language. So what you're reading is if you believe on his word, well, what was his word? Well, his Couple word was in John 3, 4, 5. Yeah. So we then were given uh, access to this born again nature. We see it coming to full culmination in Acts 2, verse uh, 38. As Peter tells us to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and we'd be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Right there, the same anointing to kingship that Jesus experienced at the Jordan River 3,000 people experienced it at that moment, and they were transformed from the status of a beast to the status of sons of man. They were then a royal priesthood, a holy generation. They were kings and priests at that moment. They were elevated to their godlike status. And I, I, I know I can trip some people up with godlike status. Our, our original status in the garden, 3,000 people were elevated at that moment in time as the Spirit anointed them. Mm -hmm. Okay? And just like there was tangible evidence in the Old Testament when oil would flow down their head, they knew it by what they felt flowing down them. They could see it. Everybody around, you know, people didn't just say, hey, you're a king now. Israel wouldn't have accepted that without an outward sign of oil flowing down. 
here is oil flowing down from heaven. And we knew the sign, not by what we saw, but by what we heard. That's That concept is all through the Bible. That's extra, by the way. That's not in my notes. Listen to Romans 8. This is the result of that born-again experience. Romans 8, verse 13 through 17. For if you live according to the flesh, that word flesh is the same word Jesus used, sarks. So if you live according to the animal-like nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, watch this, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, or adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, this is the garden imagery, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This was the, the moment where Jesus said, I'm a king who has come to suffer and anyone who suffers with me becomes glorified with me. So before our born again experience, you and I are born into sin and we're shaped by iniquity. We are below our calling from birth. We are fallen because sin has conceived us. That's the, that's the animal that was the offspring of Satan, sin conceived us. Our daddy is originally sin. That's all throughout the Bible. That's the book of Romans says there's none righteous, no, not one. All who are, we've all been born into sin, so on and so forth. Psalm says we're born into sin, shaped by iniquity. Basically, you and me are animals. Mm -hmm. That's what we are. So Romans 5, 12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Remember, death is the base fear of all these ancient readers. So it spread to all of us. We're infected with a vicious disease of sin because we're animals right. of death. We have an animalistic nature from birth. And Ephesians 2 shows us, says, wherein in time past, this is Ephesians 2, uh, verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our animal-like nature, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the animal-like nature, the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature, look at this, the children of wrath, even as others. Now watch this, Galatians 5 is showing the paradigm shift that spirit-filled people who have been elevated to their original status on the holy mountain. This is how we should look. Galatians 5, 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's the same Greek word in all right. these places. If you will walk by the Spirit, if you will be Spirit-led, then you will not give in to your animal nature. So I want to stop right here. And even as a spirit-filled individual, you're going to fight with your animal nature every day. Because the earth is the devil's dominion still. Right. The prince right. of power of the air. Right. But by being filled with the spirit, we now once again have, is it the nefesh? Yes. We have been, at that moment, the wind blew through there, by the way. I forgot to mention that. And thank you for bringing that up. In Acts 2, 
you see that there was a wind that blew through that place. And the spirit... Like when God breathed on Adam. Exactly. The breath of life. In Acts 2, the wind swept through. Right. I think I, I have to quote the whole chapter in my head. I can't ever start from just one verse. In a Hebrew version of the New Testament, the word for wind there mm-hmm. that's blowing through that upper room is ruach. It's the same Hebrew word that was used in Genesis when the ruach of God breathed into the nefesh, the neshama, which was the spirit. So Galatians 5.16, when it says you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, um, the KJV says the lust of the flesh right there. The word uh, desire or lust comes from the Greek word epithymia, which means desires. Again, this word for flesh is the same word used by Jesus in John 3, which means the sensuous nature or animal nature of man. We will not... Let's look at it this way. You and I are gardens and our flesh would be the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We look at our flesh daily and we desire what we want. That's when we know. And here's the, here's the litmus test for each of us. We know how, how much we're led by the spirit by how much we deny that tree of our flesh. We may desire it. There's nothing you can do about the desiring of flesh. But your response to the desire mm-hmm. will determine how, how in charge the spirit is. And one way to kill that is through fasting and prayer. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. I think we're going to touch on that in a moment. Look at verse 17 of Galatians 5. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. There's a war is what you're seeing in Galatians 5 here. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And if we thought this whole Bible thing was going to make our lives easier, well, Galatians 5 just rained on our parade. The spirit is put in our lives to keep us from doing the things that we by nature want to do. The animal nature keeps us from the things we've been called to do. That's why verse 18 says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You're free. You're free. You've been elevated to the holy mountain. But look at the appetite of the animal in verse 19 of Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery. This is, this is the appetite of the animal that's living in you. Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you also in times past, that they which do such things, look at this, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's John 3, 5. Mm -hmm. If you're an animal and you start acting like an animal, because this is the work of the animal-like nature right here. He just said it. You cannot live in this kingdom. It's... So let's let's do a fun little let's do a fun little thing here. I I took the time and I broke down each of these uh, animal-like appetites, and Amanda and I had fun talking about these today. So let's let's look at them and what the original word in the Greek was and what it means. So adultery, we know what it is. It's you know, it's it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Fornication. It comes from the Greek word pornea, which is where we get our English word for porn. It is simply illicit sex. 
So this is why as Christians, we are so against porn because it is a work of the animal-like nature. Or anything outside of marriage. Exactly. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why it's right behind adultery. Because you may not touch, but you're looking, and Jesus covered that, and you can't even look at a woman. Right. So uncleanness. It's pure, lustful, luxurious living. Impure. Impure, sorry. I, I talked to an elder just this week, and he said that the American dream, bouncing off this, has become the kingdom nightmare. Mm. Because we are so acclimated to luxurious living, and even amidst this whole... Um, pandemic right now we're upset because we're losing our comforts we don't want to suffer we don't like to suffer and that's how we know i mean by the way that was when jesus turned to peter and told him depart from me or not depart me uh get behind me satan because he had just told peter he was going to jerusalem to die and peter said far be it from you and jesus discerned the same spirit on peter that he discerned in the wilderness and he said you're trying to keep me from suffering mm-hmm and I'm not saying we're masochistic Christians, but we're also realistic Christians. No, but I mean, you have on here uh, luxurious living as as one of the definitions for that. And I mean, yes, we're not masochists. Thank God most of us have toilet paper today, and I'm not going to dive into that too much. But I mean, there is it is helpful to look at, honestly, half of the rest of the world and take a step back and go, we're still doing better than... You know, okay, so you only have four rolls of toilet paper. You know, there are other options, and and I really don't want to hang out there. But you get my point. Like, yeah. it's, you need to be exposed to the way a good chunk of the rest of the world lives. And then you'll realize your modest three-bedroom, 1,200-square-foot home, you know, blah, 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 two-car, used car... That is luxurious to a good chunk of the world. Yeah. Even though by American standards, you're, you know, just below average. Anyway, continue. It's it's an animal-like nature. And it's funny because that word comes before lasciviousness, which means unbridled ex- excess. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah. Idolatry, worshiping something false. Witchcraft, this comes from the Greek word pharmakai, which is where we get our English word pharmacy. It was the use of administering drugs. It was This is how the witches would do it. They would get you in a state of mind to where you were, you were outside of reality. And we would, we would use the word high, basically. Um, it was escaping reality through um, pharmacia, through these concocted chemicals. Mm. So, You do with that what you will. Yep, you go down that bunny hole hatred that's self-explanatory variance having contentions with emulations zeal oh this is my favorite emulations is a fun word (laughs) zeal of defending anything which excessive arguing this is why i have to get off of social media during the super bowl because i see people arguing over who, whose team is better than whose and who's the real goat. And I'm like, who cares? And by the way, he means Christian people. He's yes. not talking about people who are not spirit-filled. And let me, before I become like labeled as too dogmatic, which who cares, but... Go Patriots. It, yeah. <laughs> before like somebody gets all mad at me and like he's too hard, 
I don't I don't care if you have these conversations. It's when people start legit arguing and fighting with one another. That is emulations. You're an animal. I'm sorry. I've been studying this for a long time and this it convicts me heavily. When you when you argue about okay, I'm a Republican, Democrats are all dying and going to hell. It, you're an animal. Well, you see it in pretty much any lifestyle. Okay, I don't know how many people listen that fall into this demographic, but this is always my go-to. As a mom, I'm in 10 different mom-style groups of varying things from kids' toys to anything, baby-wearing, take your pick. And it's inevitable that in each and, in each and every one of these groups, somebody's going to ask a question that's going to trigger about 30 people to comment and to get into vicious blow-by-blow arguing. But yep. it's online. Closed groups are full of emulations. So... <laughs> We have moderators and and stuff that try to moderate all that just because you can't look at somebody who lives life just a little bit different than you. Yeah. And have a civil conversation or just scroll on by. Don't even comment. Woe to us if we argue with the way one church does church versus the other church. That's emulations. When it's excessive arguing, it's ridiculous. And we have to discern that. It's, and that's why it's important that we know the definition of these words. Because we need to know when we're acting like an animal. Because it was very clear. Paul said it. As I have told you in times past. That, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul talks about this all the time in his epistles. He was trying to put a leash on the animal. Is what he was doing. So emulations. It's funny that that comes right before wrath, which is passionate anger is the definition. And then strife, a desire to put oneself forward, a.k.a. king of the hill. You know, I can look at somebody and I can tell if they're acting like an ape in the kingdom because they get up on their heel and they beat their chest. Strife, uh, seditions, this is causing division. It's funny that all these words are like they're playing into one another. And it's, it's it, one word leads to the next word and so does one spirit lead to the next spirit, by the way. Heresies. This is a fun one. A body of men following their own tenets, such as Pharisees and Sadducees, a.k.a. political party. This was a, a group of people that come together and they decide to do things the way they want to do things. And you go down that bunny hole and you, you build the narrative for yourself. Right. Envyings. Self-explanatory. It's two dogs fighting over a bowl of food. You're an animal. Oh, I'm like... <laughs> Like this morning with Eleanor and the eggs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she did not want her eggs. She did not want to eat them. And I asked her several times. And when I, she said no several times, I finally gave them to her brother who really wanted them. And the second she saw him with her eggs, she cried for probably 15 minutes about how bad she had wanted those eggs that 30 seconds prior she had flat out refused. I don't know, just thought that was funny. <laughs> All of this comes to a culminating head right here. So we've we've gotten from hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, and then it gets to murders. We're animals. We're we're the inverted Lamech. Okay? Then there's drunkenness, self-explanatory, revelings, which is parties slash orgies. It's just all of this is where these this is the tree planted in all of our garden right here this is the animal like nature this is in our garden this is the tree of knowledge of good and evil 
this is the list of fruit that we're not called to eat from. Mm -hmm. It's funny because Galatians 5 is also going to show us the fruit of the Spirit after showing us all of this. Right. It's that, it's that garden imagery. So these are the animalistic desires. This nature will always be opposed to God. And here's the unfortunate truth of living like an animal according to Romans 8, verse 6, 7, and 8. For to set the mind on the flesh, that's the same word there, is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life, and here's a good one, peace. And I believe that's relevant right now. I'm hearing a lot of cries for peace right now. When we set our mind on the spirit, it's life and it's peace. Mm -hmm. But if we are feeding the list that I just read from, we, we don't have peace. When we act like an animal, we don't have peace. By the way, the, the imagery of the prodigal son who left the king's house, daddy's house, where did he end up and what did he look like? An animal in an the pigsty. An ancient Jew would have read that and known, okay, I'm seeing that Jesus is telling a parable, that's me. I've left the kingdom and now I'm an animal. I need to go back to daddy. Right. He had it all. He had it made. He walked away and said, nah, I want to do things my way and ends it up. Yeah. And he did that. He spent it, he spent it all on revelings, parties and orgies. He yeah. spent it all. He, and he was left with nothing. And we see the grace of God that when you leave daddy's palace, you act like an animal. Daddy will be sitting on the front porch. He's not coming to the pig pen for you, but he'll be waiting on the, on the porch for you to come back. Which is what Adam and Eve did when God asked them, what have you done? There was two questions in the garden. The devil asked a question and it authored confusion. The Lord asked a question and it brought about confession. Anytime the first animal asks a question, it's always going to confuse us. But when God asks a question, it leads to confession. Because Adam looked at God and he said, I ate. Right. That was his confession. And that's when the mercy of God was poured back on Adam. And we see that again in the parable of the prodigal son. But Romans verse uh, Romans 8, 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's like a rabid dog. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I think it's pretty clear what God is telling us. So I've taught this in churches before, and I've used this illustration because I've had people... I believe that every message you ever preach should have hope in it or else you've you've just given people a burden without an exit. And this is, I, I've been asked, okay, I'm an animal, what do I do? You need to put a leash on the animal is what you need to do. Right. You've been filled with the Spirit. Until we're perfected. And, and that's, that's part of the perfecting process. Right. So in that list, what do you struggle with? If it's fornication pornography you need to put a leash on the internet you need to put accountability software on your phone if that's if that's what you're struggling with that is a, a huge struggle for a lot of men i know i have a group of guys that i hold accountable mm -hmm. and it's it's a a monthly tag in with each other and i get a report of everything that comes across their cell phone that's I respect those men so deeply because they said, I want to put a leash on it. There's nothing wrong with putting a leash on an animal. You're training this animal, as Romans 8 said, to submit. I, I'm going to add in there, it is some women too. Sure. It's just less talked about, but I feel like the older I get and the more 
the world becomes increasingly more perverse, I feel like it attacks women as well. Um, so I just, if you're a woman out there, I don't know how much women will seek out accountability just because I feel like it's even more taboo that a woman should struggle with it. But anyway, continue. Just wanted to throw that out. Well, let's, let's discuss this a little bit because this is the hope portion. God will always come and ask for confession. Mm -hmm. The moment you give it, the Lord's going to wrap his arms around you. But the thing is, is God doesn't want you going from the pig pen to the palace, from the pig pen to the palace, back and forth every single day. So we need to learn how to hold ourselves accountable to never leave the palace again. Mm -hmm. This is the leash illustration. So let's say you're a lone wolf and you prefer to be alone, but the animal like nature in you struggles with depression. You may, and I, I legitimately know people that re-energize by going and checking out and being alone. I believe that that's healthy. It becomes unhealthy when you completely disconnect. And that's, we're in a very trying time right now because of this pandemic, because the introverts are on parade right now. They're like, this is the, this is the time of their life. Yeah, I've been prepping for this my whole life. Yeah, and, it, and that's, that's fine. Us extroverts, we're not okay. <laughs> we're not doing well. Um, but if you if you really if that's something that you you have a propensity to do and you you prefer to be alone but you do also struggle with depression you need to put a leash on your loneliness and give yourself access or give people access to you um let them encourage you let them check on you it's it may drain you to to have large groups of people limit it to one or two intimate people that's that's a leash that's protection mm-hmm uh, you struggle with anger. Uh, this is something that I can talk about because I was one of the most hot-headed people on the planet. Uh, I would fight at the drop of a hat, fought all the time. So when I stepped into ministry and I started studying the Bible more, I noticed that God's not real, real impressed with my hot head. So I, I set parameters. I drew a line. I, my diet was different, and this is where it plays in. I was feasting from a different table. I didn't allow myself to go to festivals. I lived in a small town. There was always a group of drunk people at festivals. And when they saw A.J. Holloway, they were like, oh, that's the dude with a hot head. Let's rile him up. We can get a fight out of him. Every time I went to a festival or a fair, I would encounter the biggest drunk that was there. And we'd get into a fight every time. So am I saying festivals are wrong? I'm not saying that. I'm saying for me, I had to put a leash. And I, I legitimately believe the Lord has delivered me and given me peace from my anger. It's been on a leash so long now, I've got that animal trained, that if I see somebody that does something to me, I want to be a son of man. I want to be the son of God. So when somebody riles me up, I will feel anger, but I don't bite like a wild animal. There's a leash on that thing now. And that's the thing. Don't demonize the fact that you feel it. That's never going away. And you can really take this leash analogy pretty far. <laughs> take it. No, I'm just, okay, I'm sorry to all you dog lovers out there. I love dogs too, though we don't have one and we won't. Um, but they are animals. And I know your dog would never, just your dog would never, ever, ever. That's not true. It's a dog. It's an animal. And no matter how well trained it is, no matter how, whatever, it still is an animal. And whether they're nervous, scared, angry, tense having a bad day the baby pulled it, his ear 
you, you cannot predict what an animal will do or won't do. Yeah. Um, I think it's, is it Siegfried and Roy? The yeah. ones with the tigers? I mean, they had those tigers for like, I don't know how many years, like 20, 30 years. I have no idea how long I'm making up that number. And then one day. Just turned. Now, I know that there's like whether he attacked or was protecting or whatever. But the point being, it didn't matter. He had a life-threatening injury and has never been the same because of a reaction, regardless of what that reaction was, by a wild animal that had been trained for years. Anyway, like I said, you could take that for a long time. Well, the, the drunkenness and the... You know, if that's in your family, that's something your your parents struggle with. That's something that you, any kind of intoxication, I don't want to limit that. Anything, because there's so many things that can intoxicate us. Social media can become intoxicating um, because of affirmation. The, the amount of affirmation that comes through social media, through likes and things, they've literally tested it, that it releases in your body the same chemicals that alcohol does. So social media has become a type of alcohol for for teenagers and even adults, you need to put a leash on that and say, okay, am I, am I just posting this? And here's, here's the test. If you know, if you're just posting something for likes is if it doesn't get enough likes and it affects you mentally, you know that it, okay, this has become intoxicating for me. You need to put a leash on that and you need to get somebody in your life and be honest, have an honest conversation with a trusted spiritually mature person and say, Hey, social media has become intoxicating for me. I need to get it under control. Put a leash on it. Yeah. Hand the end of that leash to someone who's account you're accountable to. I think this is where, you know, I constantly go back to being student pastors uh, for uh, six, seven years, something like that. Um, we were always asked by students for lists. Hey, can I do this? Hey, is this okay? Hey, is this allowed? Is this yeah. not allowed? Can I listen to this? Can I go to this? Can I watch this? And we constantly deflected and almost always refused to outright answer that because. It's what we want. We want lists. Because we want, yeah. And you need to know yourself well enough to know, hey, if, okay, if you memorize these, these scriptures, if you memorize verses, what was it? 19 through 21 of Galatians, uh, Know these, know the meanings, and then look at the situation you're about to put yourself into. Is is there anything that's going to fall into here? Okay, maybe I need to pray about this. Maybe I need to just use logic and take a step back and not participate in whatever said thing is. I I hated giving lists to students because that list would change quickly. Right. With technology, with movies, with music, with and I hate to use cliche stuff, but for lack of for just time purposes, know yourself. I know that we're probably talking to mostly adults here, not not teens, but uh, I believe it. Applies. I think I think adults, even adults. I mean, I like lists. I just bought a sleep training program because I just wanted someone to give me do the list for me. I didn't. It's a lot of work to figure it out on your own. Um. But lists only make you holy for a season. And then sometimes the people giving you those lists are going to be giving you a list from the things that they struggle with. Yeah. And they might harp on something that you don't. And they might leave off something that could send you to hell. Not yeah. to be whatever, but because it's not a struggle for them. 
Well, that's what we used to tell uh, teenagers is like, if I tell you today, no, you probably shouldn't be listening to this particular artist. Well, what do you do in 10 years when that artist is no longer on the scene and a new artist is up? They're going to say, well, this new artist isn't on the list. It, that list is only going to keep you holy for a season. What we're striving to do is to be holy for a lifetime. And when we can look at these scriptures and it, it's, we have to, it passes, if it, if it falls into these categories, then I don't have any business doing it. So basically from Galatians 5, all the way through 22. 19 through uh, the fruit of the spirit, which yeah. is t- what, 22 through 24, something like that. Okay, something like that. Memorize that and filter it through 19 through 21 and then filter it through the fruit of the spirit and create your leashes based on those two. Yeah. Those two sets of scriptures. One scripture I would throw in there, and this has been my daily discipline, is Philippians 4.8. Right. Philippians 4.8 is finally, brethren, what sort of things are true, what sort of things are honest, what sort of things are just, what sort of things are pure, what sort of things are lovely. If there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. And I call it a filter. It has to pass through those six things before it should get to my mind. If it's not true, don't listen to it. You're going to flare up an animal in you. Somebody's going to come and give you information you don't even know is true about you or about somebody else. And anger, seditions, all these things, emulations are going to flare up in you for no reason because you don't even know if it's true or not. Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is there any virtue or is there any praise in it? If there's not, you there's no point in thinking about it. I'm going to throw in the lat, the quick little addendum and then I'm going to be done because I'm pretty sure we've gone a while. Yeah, um, it's okay. That doesn't mean everybody's sitting at home anyway. (laughs) Yeah, but still. If you listen to this in a year from now and there's no longer a pandemic, then that joke means nothing to you. That doesn't mean you don't deal with the tough stuff and that you live in the clouds and that you ignore the hard stuff. That is not what Philippians 4 is referring to. Yeah. There are sometimes you have to talk about the complicated things, the hard things, the negative things, the whatever. But that needs to be balanced and needs to be done in a way that you aren't spending every moment dwelling on it. I don't, we really don't have time to hash that any further. I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, we'll we'll have other podcasts. We've got nothing but time now, so I'm going to be trying to podcast weekly. Um, but this this is the facts, and we're going to end it right here. We're an animal. The animal has an appetite, as we've seen in the garden and as we just witnessed in Galatians 5. We need to starve this animal. So that we can be sons and daughters of the King, walking by the Spirit, led by His Spirit. And this this tree that's planted in our garden, from that list we read, we stop eating that and we feast from the fruit of the Spirit. We feast from love, peace, joy, kindness. Those, those nine fruit, we feast from that from now on. That's what we eat. By the way, it was nuts and fruit. We become like Daniel in a secular society when we start eating from the fruit of the Spirit. That's it. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, reach out to us. I know I've had other people reach out to me um, via social media. Connect with us. We'd love to hear some input, different things. If this is helping you, let us know. Uh, love you guys. We'll check you all in the next podcast. Good night.